Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm going to time this perfectly and declare us live as I do every Saturday morning. Awesomeo.com college football show. DFS, betting, whatever it is, we have you covered. Uh, we got a lot of games to get to. That's why we're starting a little early. I was complaining I didn't have enough time to complain uh, which is the staple of these shows. So we, we budgeted an extra 15 minutes. I am Ben Raza, here with the man himself, Matt Kajewski. Are you excited? I believe this is week seven of college football. We're moving along nicely here. Yeah, dude. One small little positive we have from this COVID situation. We're going to get a couple extra college football weeks with the Big Ten starting late, Mountain West, all of the, the MAC, all these little conferences. We're going to have some extra slates. So a little silver lining, and I, I'll i take any football anytime I can get it. It's been, uh, I mean, yeah, between this and the NFL, uh, you messaged me the other day, and you were saying there there was a football game on every single day this week, was there not? There was. If you like Coastal Carolina, you got a nice football game on Wednesday. And then, of course, Thursday, the Georgia State debacle. And last night, we had a little BYU action. We certainly did, yeah. That was a, uh, it was a weird game. I, we're not going to talk about Clayton Toon. Uh, on the slate, but I, Houston actually has some things going on, but it's exciting. We've got a ton of stuff. Obviously, first and foremost, chat, we are excited to have you guys. You know the rules. Hit that like button, too. We, we've got the man. His article is posted. I know people ask about that. It is ready to go, but we are about to dive in. I think we've got, it says 13, but two of them are gone. LSU and Florida, Cincy and Tulsa both got COVID, um, so I think we have 11 games. We're going to dive into it. We should have some extra time here, which will be good. We'll get some questions at the end. Uh, we'll do some other things. First game, probably my favorite bet of the entire slate, so we're going to dive right in. SEC battle, we've got Kentucky and Tennessee. You would. I know. Every week, it's the same story with me. Uh, Kentucky is a seven-point dog. Obviously, I like them once again. I can't quit them. Uh, we'll start there. Obviously, their quarterback is not going to be getting any 300-yard bonuses in this world, but... He may be getting some 100-yard bonuses. Terry Wilson, obviously mobile. I mean, I don't hate it. I kind of hate it, though. What do you make of a team that's obviously going to run the ball a lot uh, against the Vols front that, eh, they're okay, I guess? Yeah, Terry Wilson has 221 rushing yards this year, so he is live for the 100-yard bonus on the ground. I'm not sure this is the best spot for it. You mentioned Tennessee's defense's average if I'm going to play Terry Wilson, I really want him just like in the best matchup of all time where he can use that rushing upside. And then if we want to just look to the runners, we basically have a three-man timeshare with Rodriguez, and we're not sure if Cavassier Smoke will play, and then 
AJ Rose. Those are the three there. So it's hard to target anyone on the ground. If you factor in Wilson, it's essentially a four-man committee. AJ, my man Rose, uh, he is the fellow who ran for a long, long touchdown, got tired, got tackled on the one-yard line because he was celebrating, and then he fumbled. Um, so I'm not a fan. But, yeah, listen, the thing about the Kentucky, first of all, it makes it really difficult to stack because they run the ball a lot. They also have – I view as one of the top defenses in the country. I know they haven't played great. They stifled Mississippi State, who's got their own problems. But flipping it to the other side, I assume that you're not looking too heavily into this Tennessee passing attack. No, definitely not. Garantano's a game manager. He's not anything on the ground. So I don't think you can target him, even at a cheap price. The receiving room is fairly concentrated. Josh Palmer's the number one, but his price is just egregious. Like, he's more expensive than DeMonte Coxey, who we'll get to. So there's just... On no planet are you ever getting to Josh Palmer. <laughs> no, don't do that. Um, I got to ask you, because like I said, I think we know by now I've got a blind spot for this team. Pass on the game. Do you lean Tennessee? Do you lean Kentucky with May? I don't have a strong lean on this game. It's not one I'll be betting personally. I know you you back the Wildcats every single week. Every week. Tennessee is a pretty good team, and they're starting to get better. They had, especially like Cade Mays on the offensive lines, only played one game. He's the five-star who had his waiver finally cleared by the NCAA. So I don't know. I think there's room for Tennessee to improve. I don't like Garantano, but I don't know. Maybe they just run the ball here. If they do run the ball here, uh, are you drawn to – I mean – Gray got some volume here and there. Obviously, Chandler's another guy. Is it a backfield worth approaching, or is just that how you think they'll attack regardless? I think it's worth looking at because Chandler's so cheap. At 4.2K, he has the exact same volume as Gray. Gray has slightly more targets, but Chandler's slightly more carries. So Chandler's edging Gray 40 to 36 and carries Gray 10 to 6 in targets. That's exactly 44 opportunities for both of them and Chandler's 4.2K, Gray 6K. It just doesn't make sense, the pricing. Yeah, I don't mind that. I mean, it's an interesting... We were talking a little before the show about like some of the stacks that you can get to. I like it in the sense that you have stacks all the way from the Trevor Lawrence-Clemson stack down to, you know, there's some mid-range NC State-esque types that you can build differently. So if you want some relief, maybe you go to Chandler. Obviously, like I said, I'm more apt to think that Kentucky controls the game on the ground that's kind of where they get it done uh all right we'll keep it moving let's go wildcats let's go um this game is going to be i don't know i think it's pretty safe to say probably a beat down uh you've got kansas going into morgantown 22 point underdogs taking on west virginia we can get them out of the way Les miles has covid and the team is horrible um your boy puka williams and the gang do you have any interest in any of the jayhawks Puka Williams is in a timeshare now, so we can't even use him. If you want to look at a pass catcher just as like a one-off play, maybe you can because they're so cheap. Takuve Williams is 3.8K. He's averaging eight targets per game, but he only has 80 total receiving yards through three games. The only redeeming factor for this Kansas offense is they're running a decent amount of plays. So I don't know. If you're running a West Virginia stack, you could maybe look for a run back. But otherwise, just don't play anyone on Kansas. Yeah, it seems like, you know, a a team total hovering right around two touchdowns on an 11-game slate, not going to get it done. On the other side, listen, when you're a 22-point favorite, of course there's going to be some interest. We've seen this situation a little 
I believe it was it was either Eastern Kentucky or one of those made up school. Yeah, Eastern. Yeah, Kentucky. that's it. Eastern Kentucky. Yeah, uh, and we talked about like guys like Letty Brown. Now he found all the touchdown variants in that game, and he got there. You've got Sinkfield. Uh, Do. Dogie doesn't move. Uh, he moves backwards, apparently. He has negative rushing yards right now. That's such a killer. So what do you do? Do you just look for a single pass catcher? Do you keep it on the ground here? Or do you just stay away from a team with a large, uh, you know, big spread here? I think it's okay to target West Virginia. I, I think the preferred play is still probably Letty Brown, even though he comes in pretty expensive here. There is value on the slates. So there's ways to get to him. But he's handled 26 and 27 carries in back-to-back games. So if you just look at touch averages... He leads the entire slate 23.3 per game. Kansas is allowing nearly 230 rushing yards per game. This is a situation where I think, you know, it's not Eastern Kentucky. The spread's not even three scores right now. So Letty Brown should get more volume than he did in that Eastern Kentucky game. I know he luck boxed all the touchdowns, but I anticipate him playing, you know, a decent part of this game and seeing some volume. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is, I think slightly different. I, I know it's a big spread, but this is not, oh, they're playing, uh, you know, an FCS school and they're going to be out by half time. They, they're going to win, but I don't think it could get mega out of hand. And if it does, of course, that's because they scored a lot of touchdowns and you figure he has a hand in that. I don't love the thought of allocating major salary to him. There's a lot of guys on the slate that I like uh, in terms of premier targets, but at the same time, Kansas is bad uh that's an understatement they're really like i want to see them against like the real reject schools and see how they add up because coastal carolina we found out is actually amazing so maybe they're not as bad as it seemed when they started but i don't have much to say there any is there anything that we're missing do you have any interest in taking a flyer on like a ford wheaton as just like a, a home run type threat or do you think that's really unnecessary i think you can maybe target um, Jared Daggy and some stacks just because they have such a large implied team total and it'll be contrarian. So this is more of a large field tournament type situation and stacking is pretty easy because all of the receivers are in a reasonable price range. Sam James is the target leader, but he's more of an underneath threat. Like last year, he had 69 catches for 677 yards. You can kind of see where he's functioning. Bryce Ford Wheaton is more of your downfield type threat. He plays the X receiver for West Virginia. He's also only 4.4K, so he's a guy you could take a stab on in just some contrarian stacks. TJ Simmons is similar. He missed week one, so all of his numbers are depressed, but he's a full-time player in the slot for this West Virginia team, also below 5K. That's TJ Simmons. Yeah, it's just hard to, uh, you know, I talk about this in a lot of different sports. It feels like you have to get them right twice. Like, you have to decipher which one of the receivers could potentially get the work, and then they actually need to pass. Uh, the ball in the end zone so thin margins can it pay off of course in tournaments but I think that's more of a, a large field portfolio rather than if if you're playing a couple teams I'm not sure you're going to get to those pass catchers too much with so many other games uh all right we got Clemson we got Georgia Tech who I, Georgia Tech has played 15 games already so we should be <laughs> from every time I see them they're playing uh almost a four touchdown spread Clemson on the road 64 and a half totals pretty healthy we can start with obviously the big time players in, in Trevor Lawrence, you know, when he's not needed, he doesn't do much, but when he is, uh, he's mobile. He has everything that you want. Fantastic. But he is $9,000. Do you make room for him or do you let other people start with him and go elsewhere? I actually think he'll be a bit contrarian today. 
this total is kind of sitting in a mid range, but the spread is so high that Clemson still comes in with an implied team total similar to the teams like UCF and Memphis. So I think it's a little bit of a sneaky spot where we can get some leverage with the Clemson stack. The question is, who do you stack him with? Now, the receivers aren't expensive. You have Amari Rogers, who's theoretically this team's number one in the slot, but he's not like the receivers of old. He's not like your your T. Higgins or your Justin Ross. He's more of an underneath guy, only 26 targets, eight targets in his last few games. I think he's fine. Behind him, you can look to Frank Ladson, 4.6K. He's, I think, a little dicey because Joseph Nada's been out for a few games dealing with an abdominal strain. Allegedly, Joseph Nada practiced every single day this week, and when Clemson initially started the season, Nada was listed ahead of Ladson on the depth chart. So just not sure how that shakes out. We could also see Cornell Powell, who's been a full-time player in Clemson's offense, phased out. He only has 12 targets. So the three wide receiver set might end up being Rodgers, Ladson, and Nada, and that's two receivers starting for a Clemson team below Clemson team below 5K. Yeah, there's some appeal there. Do you do you kind of further that with Galloway, the tight end, or do you want to just stick with the main you know threats on the outside? I think Galloway's fine too. Uh, I'm just interested to see how the target share breaks down with all of these guys inserted into the lineup and they're playing, you know, a reasonable opponent now. Like Lanson had target counts of seven and five in the last two games. Galloway only has 16 targets on the entire year. None of them have been heavily targeted. They're just living through efficiency and they're all in the same price range. So if I had to rank them, it would probably be Ladson and Nada slightly ahead of Galloway. Right, that's fair. I got to ask you. Have a so- lean? Do you have a lean on that? Yeah, I think I'm in, I think I'm in line with that. It's pretty close. I, I'm not sure that I – so this is where I get confused with Clemson because I, I, I think it's reasonable, of course, if you want to pay the salary for Lawrence. The problem I have is who I view as – honestly, the, not I, – I exaggerate a lot. Travis Etienne is maybe the best college running back I've ever seen. I, I know that sounds crazy. He is unbelievable. Uh, and the way he can do it now, they don't give him a ton of passing work when it's not needed, but when it is – as we saw, uh, he can get dangerously insane dual threat ability. It seems inconceivable that you could put Lawrence and him in the same stack. That's a ton of salary. So where do you put him in if you are targeting Clemson? Oh, he's a great play. He's the best play on the entire team. And I just want to bring up one point with the receivers. Like last year when we had T. Higgins in this Clemson offense, he needed to get you there in the first half. He had 14 second half targets the entire year like just in the second half of games. Yeah. He didn't even average one target per game in the second half. It's just insane. Like, oh God, I can't believe he came back, but I, next year he's going to be just every week. I don't even care where he gets drafted. I will be playing him. He's just fantastic. I love the way he plays 8,600 fire him up. Uh, That's what makes it a little. And I I think this speaks to your point though. A lot of people are going to play him. That's going to come directly at the ownership of Lawrence. So if you want to be against the grain, it's just so hard. He finds the end zone every week, and he's got everything that you could want. And this spread, yes, it's it's near four touchdowns. But let's go to the other side. I don't think it's crazy to think that Georgia Tech can score. Their problems are on defense. We've seen a lot of Jeff Sims. He's going to have some bad games. But this guy, first of all, he's, he's very mobile. Uh, I want to start there. With a team in a front like Clemson, do you worry about all the sack yardage negating some of his rushing ability? Yeah, but I don't think it's going to negate a ton because he rushes so much. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times he can mitigate some of that pass rush himself because he scrambles a lot. So 
he has 236 rushing yards on the year, which is a, it's a pretty good number. He's averaging right around like 50 per game against Clemson. I think you probably have to drop that a bit, but again, there's going to be volume in the pass game here too. I'm not sure how efficient he'll be. I think the main thing to consider is his price. Like DraftKings priced him egregiously. He's only a little bit above the minimum. Yeah, that was something that obviously caught my eye too. Um, and then it begs the question, like, does, do you want to stack up and run it back with a Clemson guy? Or do you say, I get kind of played Sims as a standalone. Do you look to one of his receivers? Obviously, this is a tough matchup. But you've got guys like Camp and Carter. The price tags are very reasonable. Yeah, because they're running a wild rotation at wide receiver, and it's been very gross for DFS. I don't think stacking is a great option here. Like, I'm debating whether I'm just going to X out Georgia Tech because their implied team total is so low. They're another team with an implied total below 20. So they're not even projected to score three touchdowns in this game. That's where it's a little problematic. It's an interesting game in terms of stacks because it all pulls together. If Georgia Tech can score a little, it's going to force Lawrence and Etienne to stay in the game longer. Uh, That's where I think it's interesting. But at the same time, we saw last week against Miami. And just in general, we know Clemson is notorious they can just win these games 38 to 3 and that's just not going to get it done for anybody yeah i was just gonna bring up that that clemson miami game clemson handled a much much better miami offense they really did and do you take a last question then we can move on do you take anything from what we saw with dr king and translate that into what we might see with sims i mean maybe i sims is just so young man like dr king he's been playing college football for so long and I don't know. There were like Heisman considerations for D.R. King earlier in his career. Like, I don't think Jeff Sims is that. So if they can handle a guy like D.R. King, I don't think they'll have any problem with Sims. Yeah, I, that's more than reasonable. And the Heisman, like I said, it's already gone to Zach Wilson. Who would have thunk it? Um, not you and I. Not you and I. That is true. Uh, that's why we do the show, though. We, we, we got it. Who, who knew about BYU? Pittsburgh, Miami, right on cue. Uh, 13 point spread. I said before the show to you, when I saw that, I thought that meant Pickett was out. He is not out. He is not 100%, though. He's going to play through it. They're going off. We'll see how Miami responds. But I want to start with Pittsburgh. They've been kind of, uh, I don't know, they're a little all over the map type of a team. But Pickett has been putting up some massive numbers. Certainly, we saw him against NC State. What do you do with a guy that obviously has stated he's not 100%? Yeah, and he's dealing with an ankle injury. So yep. this is theoretically going to affect his mobility. And he's actually a decent dual threat. He's not a guy like Derek King, but he has 119 rush yards this year. And it's mostly coming from scrambles. The main worry with Miami is they have a phenomenal pass rush. Phenomenal pass rush. Two of the best edge rushers in the country. How is that going to stack up against Pickett, who can no longer evade this pressure? I'm not sure. I think his rushing numbers are going to be affected by the injury. So I don't know. Pickett, he's still, I think, in play because he averages. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So many pass attempts per game, but it just sucks that you're not going to have the same rushing upside. It makes it tough, obviously, in, when you look at stacking Pittsburgh or things like that, because I totally agree. But I, I will say, I am still drawn, particularly because I can't quit this guy, to Tassir Mack, um, who is obviously now healthy and back. He's getting the target share. We know about Addison. Will you look to the pass catchers of Pitt? I know you've railed on your boy in the backfield, Vincent Davis. What do you do with the skill position players for Pittsburgh? Man, this game has a 47 and a half total. So both teams have phenomenal defenses. Pittsburgh's implied team total is 17 and a half. Like it's worse than Georgia Tech's. I want to get Addison because he's such a phenomenal talent playing out of the slot when he's healthy. But I just don't think I'm going to get any of this game. And does that mean, so we can turn it to the other side, then Miami obviously a much healthier total sitting just north of 30. We talked about De'Ara King. I think that price is reasonable, 8,100. He's got some weapons, certainly Brevin Jordan. He's not, I'm not saying he's Kyle Pitts, but he's a damn good tight end. What do you do with the Hurricanes? I, I mean, there are some positions that you could target, but as you've talked about, Pittsburgh is a very good defense. Okay, so I, let's talk about the total for a second. Okay. Because... Like they have Rhett Lashley as their OC. He's the former OC of SMU, where they were one of the most efficient offenses in the country, running 81 plays per game, passing 50% of the time, all that, fifth in points per game. Miami has not quite been that efficient to start this year. They're only averaging 71 plays per game. They're still at that 50% pass rate. But of course, a lot of this is influenced by that game against Clemson. I've been trying to target the over in these pit games like all year because they're running a ton of plays. This Rhett Lashley offense typically runs a ton of plays. Do you like the over here? And I think that'll affect whether we want to play the Miami guys. So I've been with you. Uh, certainly the Boston College game. Like there's been several teams like that with changes in philosophy. This is 47 and a half. Um, seems a little light to me as well. I, I kind of thought this, again, I, this is a ballpark. I thought it would be more in the 51, 52 range, uh, to be honest. And I don't mind it. I, I do... The picket injury is the wild card. If I know that he's okay, I, I do like the over here. I just worry what happens if he is a statue back there. I think Miami's pass rush could really cause serious problems. I agree. If if you think this game goes over, I'm more interested in the Miami sacks. We know Derek King is just an absolute wizard, and his numbers haven't been fantastic this year. Again, he's had some tough matchups going against Clemson's not going to help. But we do know this Rhett Lashley offense from his days at SMU. It's a high-volume attack, and De'Ara King is a dual threat. Again, hasn't necessarily showed it, but if we look back to his previous seasons, 674 yards back in 2018, and then he only played four games last year, but he had 312 yards in four games. So they're going to be amazing De'Ara King games. At 8,100, I'm going to have some of him. You can certainly stack him. You mentioned Brevin Jordan, and then a guy who's really cheap but seeing increased opportunities, D. Wiggins. He ran more outs than any other Miami receiver last week. So he maybe is a cheap stack you could look to. But again, I think it, a lot of it depends on how competitive Pitt is. D. Wiggins? D. Wiggins. <laughs> Sounds like if T. Higgins got a fake ID and he tried to change it up, like what? who the hell is D. Wiggins? 4K? 
Um, okay. Well, listen, last question I want to say, and then we can move on. Are you comfortable if you, if say you didn't want to go to D Wiggins, are you comfortable running King out by himself? He's one of the few quarterbacks I would be. It's like him, Sims, man, if Brennan Armstrong plays, I would be willing to, to run him out because he's a strong dual threat too. I, I think you have to look at the QBs that have the hundred yard bonus upside. Kentucky guy, oh, Terry yeah. Wilson, maybe, but Kentucky's going to score like 14 points. So probably That's all not. they need. Don't matter when you shut them out. Um, all right. Let's keep it going. SEC time. Auburn, three-point road favorite going into South Carolina. Weird teams. Um, Auburn at times has looked okay, but at times they really haven't. They were lucky to escape last week. We know I don't think we're a fan of Bo Nix on this show. Not a lot of interest in him. But he's got some skill position players that are worth talking about. Tank Bigsby has come out of nowhere. That's someone I did not have my eye on coming into the season. Certainly Seth Williams and these guys on the outside. Uh, floor is yours. What do you do with an Auburn team as a slight favorite going into South Carolina? And we got to get you on the recruiting trail so you, you get to know these guys. I know. Like, I got to like get tapped Bigsby. in. Bigsby's a four-star. Um, he, he really saw increased opportunity with Williams banged up and Sean Shivers injured, who is projected to come back this game. But Bigsby's performed extremely well in place of those guys. So I think he is the lead back here. And I think you could maybe target him. Again, we're we're really hitting on the games with the four game environments to start. Like it's a 51 and a half total. Auburn, as the favorite, has a 27 implied team total overall, which isn't terrible, but it's not anywhere near the best on this slate. And then if we look at how Auburn plays, they're one of the slowest teams in the country. 65 plays per game. Plus, they're passing the ball right around 52.5% of the time. So I think it raises volume questions for Bigby at that price. I like him, but I'm just curious how many carries he actually receives, especially with Shivers and DJ Williams now in the fold, and they'll siphon some carries in a low-volume offense that could be important. On the outside, uh, first off, and like I said, Seth Williams, I believe, from everything that I have seen is good to go, Correct. Yeah, Seth, he was banged up, but I believe he came back in the game. Yeah, I think he's got the Q tag, um, but I haven't seen anything. Then you've got Stove, uh, who I don't know. Again, I don't know what it was. Did you see why he was out? I did not see why, but I know the language that Gus Malzahn used. He used the same language last week as he did this week. He said he was hopeful that these guys would play. And of course, last week that meant they wouldn't play. He's just, it's, it's coach speak for college injuries. You're going to have no idea until the beat reporter tweets if he's, if he's suited up before the game. Do you do anything with these pass catchers? Uh, or do you think it's just kind of like an unnecessary risk given all these question marks? The one thing you like about them is the target share is narrowed between two guys. We have two receivers with a 30% market share above that, actually. Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz. Schwartz, we know from it. I mean, the guy literally has Olympic speed. So when he gets the ball, he's a threat to take it to the house at any time. When he was 17 years old, coming out of high school, he ran a 4-3-4 verified laser-timed 40-yard dash. And Seth Williams, he's NFL ready right now. Yeah, that's fast. Can confirm. Um, and yeah, it's not a high-octane offense, but I don't hate it. And you mentioned, you know, when you have that kind of speed, there is some upside. The other question I have about this game, though, is on the other side of it. I, I can't really grasp what South Carolina is. They've had a range of outcomes. You crush Vanderbilt, it's Vanderbilt. Uh, obviously, they lost a couple hard-fought games to start the season. We know about Shai Smith. 
Colin Hill seems serviceable, but I, at the same time, I'm not exactly drawn to him for DFS purposes. Right, and he's another quarterback where he needs the 300-yard bonus because he doesn't offer you anything in the run game. He's another QB with negative rushing totals. So I think it comes down to, do you think Colin Hill can get the 300-yard bonus in a slow, run-heavy game against Auburn? And I don't think he can. Do you look to the backfield where Kevin Harris has just been doing things? Another buck 72 and a couple touchdowns against Vandy. Did everything. This is not Vandy, obviously. It's a different type of front. Yeah, he has with the volume, 26 and 27 opportunities in back-to-back games. I think the main question with Kevin Harris is, would you rather play Letty Brown? Would you rather play ETN? Would you rather play Kyron Williams? And I think yes, because they're all in better game environments. But if you want to be contrarian, I'm never going to completely fade a guy who's seen nearly 30 touches a game. Do you think it's a tough spread? I will say it's three points. South Carolina taking money. Um, and if you go to one of the many reasons we talk all the time on the show and on the NFL shows, awesome.com, go to odd shopper. You can see the lines on every book. You have to shop these lines because this is one If you can get two and a half. If you want to bet Auburn, that is massive. If you could find, if there's three and a halves out there, Those little edges make all the difference, and we're providing that completely free. The new game page is just launched for NFL. They're fantastic, so we encourage everyone to go over there and check it out. Do you have a feel for this game? I think if I had to take a position, it would be Auburn, but I don't really feel strong about that. I'm on the same side as you. I I also don't feel quite as comfortable with this game. It's not one I'll be backing heavily, but I do lean Auburn as well. Yeah, I just I can't can't back Bonix, man. That feels gross, but I, I I can't tell you the number of times in my life I've backed South Carolina as a as a home dog. Uh, I think it, you remember what was it, Jake, Jake Bentley? Yeah, Jake Bentley, yeah. their longtime starter. Guy perennial disappointment. Ten years there, and every year I was like, all right, here we go. Uh, no dice. Last thing before we move on, what do you make of, of Shy Smith? Do you want to go there? We know he's their alpha, but uh, obviously Auburn knows that as well. I think you can go to Shai Smith. He has a 42% target share, and that's people are <laughs> yeah, going to be work. off him. He was he was like 50% owned last week, and he only saw five targets. So I think people will go away from him, especially with like Coxie and and Williams on this slate. There's a lot of really good options up in that price range, and Coxie in particular so underpriced that you're going to get some leverage on some of these expensive players like Shai Smith. It could be interesting. Yeah, I mean, when you, when you can see the the target share that he could see in a game like this, especially if they're trailing, I don't hate it. I do have him by him. I mean, we'll talk about Coxie in a little bit. But all right, we go to South Bend, Louisville, Notre Dame, 16 and a half point spread for the uh, the fighting Irish at home, 61 and a half total. I want to start with Louisville, though. Uh, they've obviously played some tough teams. They've got a 23 point team total. I'm kind of interested, though. I told you before the show, I think this could be really sneaky. Cunningham is erratic, but he's got a lot of upside. He's got two big-time receivers. Tutu Atwell's a serious big-time receiver. Do you think they can move the ball against Notre Dame? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Can this offense generate enough points? I think they can move the ball against Notre Dame. Like Notre Dame has faced some of the worst opponents I've ever seen. Like Their opening schedule was Duke, South Florida, and Florida State. Like, could you draw up an easier schedule for the Irish? No. The answer is no. Anytime you get South Florida and Florida State, that's the double buy. Um, so we haven't seen them tested. And they did start a little slow last week, obviously recovered nice. The, the question, the other part of this is, and we'll get to Notre Dame in a second, they're so good on the ground. 
do you worry they just like kind of shorten the game because they're going to just be running it down their throat? Uh, that's not the best environment for a stack. Or do you think that, again, Louisville can at least unlock it a bit through the air? I do think Notre Dame tries to run the ball. They have arguably the best offensive line in football. They returned every single start there, and there's a lot of NFL draft-ready players on that offensive line. It's really been their approach to start the year is slow everything down. They're not even getting to 70 plays per game. They're still passing 47.5% of the time, but I still think this is going to be a run-heavy approach through and through, and it does raise the question, will there be enough plays on the opposite side for a Louisville team who typically doesn't run that fast either? They're running a little bit faster this year because they've been trailing so much. They lost their first three games in ACC competition. So, yeah, I'm a little concerned. Mikhail Cunningham does have the upside as a dual threat, but I don't know if the volume's there. If you wanted to go maybe, say you don't want to stack it, is there a one-off type play? Someone, I mean, I'll be honest, Des Fitzpatrick, 4,900 to me. I don't mind just taking him, you know, if you want to save a little salary and get a piece of Louisville. Uh can you go there or do you think you have to focus in on like the main pieces in Atwell or Cunningham? I think Atwell and Cunningham are the best plays. Like Hawkins is another guy who has a ton of volume and it's interesting. He has a ton of volume with Louisville getting crushed. I mean, like he's 6,200. He's not a great option. Notre Dame is a good defense as well, but Hawkins has at least 14 touches in every game. He has three games with 18 plus carries, just carries alone. He's not, he's not heavily involved in the past game. But I mean, that's, like Louisville's getting crushed in these games and he's still getting this much volume. Yeah, that's the one thing about him. Uh, he's not going to be able to rack up cheap receptions. He's probably going to have to score. Um, so is it possible? Of course, and he, he's going to get his opportunities. I do respect as much as I don't like him. I do respect Notre Dame's front quite a bit. And then on the other side, I mean, you've set it up. Is it as simple as this is just the Kyron Williams show once again? Yeah, I think so. You mentioned Notre Dame's front seven. They have an eight and a half percent sack rate. It's absolutely phenomenal. I think they'll get after Louisville. And Notre Dame is running such a slow, slow offense. There's not going to be enough volume in the pass game, even with them being fairly balanced. All the opportunities are going to Kyron Williams. We saw one game this season where his opportunities were depressed. If you dig into that, it was against South Florida. Kyron Williams like barely played after halftime, so I wouldn't look into that too much. I think he's a fantastic play, not only with his rushing upside, but he's heavily targeted in the pass game. One of the most targeted players on this Notre Dame offense. So if for some reason you think Louisville gets up in this game, Kyron Williams will be involved regardless of game script. Yeah. The one game he wasn't, I can explain that. I actually targeted him there against South Florida. That's why that happened. Uh, <laughs> and every other person who's ever attended Notre Dame scored in that like the, Oh, this guy, Jafar, the guy from Jafar from Aladdin scored every back on the team scored except Kyron Williams, he's going to be heavily involved today. 7,200 is more than reasonable. Great run back if you stack it. Great piece. Uh, we don't talk a ton about cash. Like, do you, do you think he could be a staple of cash lineups? Yeah, I think he could. The main question is, are you just going to try to get the extra, like, 1.5K to get to ETN? Yeah, that's good. If you can uh, do it, I think ETN's the better play. If you can't, Kyron's more than okay. And then, I mean, we'll tie this in at the end because that's why we started the show earlier. We're going to have some time to talk some lineup construction, answer your questions. But I definitely want to revisit this because in between those two, you've got Letty Brown, um, who is someone that I, I don't know if that's the tournament leverage you need. I would say no, but him and South Carolina's back are in between ETN and Kyron Williams, and, and that could be a differentiation point. 
It's true. I, I think Letty will... Do you think he'll carry some ownership? I, I think people will look a little with the game log and look at the, the spread, and, and I think he will garner some ownership. I would be pretty surprised if it approaches where ETN or Kyron Williams will be. I think so, too. Um, so keep that in mind, but we'll get there. We still got five games left, and we've got some monster games to get to, starting right here. Uh, I've watched you know a good amount of games this year and i'm not sure i've seen anyone like the mississippi game last week against alabama it what these teams could not stop each other uh and that's why we have a 76 and a half point total here mississippi is the slightest slightest favorite on the road i see one and a half on my screen it's probably around that number basically everywhere man the dream died with Plumley. i can't even rip on them because Matt Corral, I've got to give him props. He looks absolutely phenomenal, and that is a shock to me. Yeah, I mean, I remember the first game. I was very, very upset that Plumlee wasn't playing, and I thought Corral was a low upside option. Cor- Corral coming into the year had never passed for 300 yards in an individual game. And uh, wow, has he evolved. And he's running. Like, he's he, mobile. He is mobile. He's not Plumlee. Plumlee literally had 1,000 yards rushing in a limited season last year, but Corral is serviceable as a rusher. He's actually probably one of the better dual threats on this slate. He has 141 cumulative yards, which I think just only adds to his upside. I just, I'm stunned. I mean, he he's just looked phenomenal. He is 8,800 though. Uh, that is lofty. I get it. Arkansas, we'll talk about them in a second. I don't think, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't fault anyone for going there. Personally, I think you get squeezed for me. I'm not sure I would come up with him. Corral, I was trying to project this game. So I'm looking at Corral's pass attempts per game. And I guess when I see his overall passing totals, like he's averaging 358 yards per game. I'm like, all right, this must be a really voluminous passing attack. And I dig in a little bit and I see he's only averaging 29 attempts. This Ole Miss team is still really run heavy. And that leads me, I mean, I guess we can go right there then because it's not just him. They've got guys all over the place producing do, do you look at Jerry on Ely in the backfield or do we want to stick on the outside? So Jerry and Ely and Snoop Connor have worked into more of a timeshare than we initially saw in the season. Like Ely's out touched Connor 52 to 40, but in their most recent game, Connor had 22 touches to Ely's 21. So it's almost become a 50, 50 timeshare. And that most recent game, Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Was close. Like, went right down to the wire. It's not like... Ole Miss was playing with a lead and they just got Connor in there to, to kill the clock at the end of the game. It was a close game. So I think they'll both be heavily involved. And if you're just playing the price game, Connor's the better price adjusted play. If you're looking to Eli, I mean, he's 6.7K. You have to make some real decisions with him and some other running backs in that range. Yeah, I mean, just for, for reference, last week combined, they had 40 carries against Alabama uh, for over almost 250 yards. So it was like they were running a wild. They were in that game, even though they could not stop Alabama. Najee was just dominating, but that's, he's not on the slate. So we don't really have to worry about that on the outside. 
for good reason. Elijah Moore is $8,000. He's producing. He's doing dangerous things. $8,000, though. Uh, again, can you can you allocate the salary there? He is the most expensive wide receiver on the slate. I think you can. This game has an immense total, so you definitely want pieces of this game. Whether you fully stack it or not, I'm not sure. I think it'll be a little more contrarian just because the prices are a little bit better in that UCF game. You can definitely look at Elijah Moore. He's playing the slot for the Rebels, 34 targets through three games, averaging an absurd 152 receiving yards per game. I think he's a strong play despite the hefty price tag. So in terms of like priorities for this, because, you know, you mentioned when you got a total north of 75 uh, and it's supposed to be a competitive game, obviously these guys are going to have opportunities. Do you find yourself more interested in going corral and a pass catcher or taking a shot with one of the backs do you put running backs in the stack uh how do you kind of prioritize old miss just on their own i would rather target a pass catcher just because of price and there's a little less opportunity cost i think you know with ely and connor you're really having to decide between other backs that are in phenomenal spots like kyron and letty brown and travis Etienne. At wide receiver, you have three of them, obviously, and then you can play a fourth in your flex if you want. So I think there's a little less opportunity cost. Moore's fantastic. I think Jonathan Mingo is still a strong target. He really only has one great game so far, but he's still the number two receiver in this offense. Dontario Drummond is the third. He's basically a 50% player, like a 50-60% guy for this Ole Miss team. That would be where I look. I, I think I prefer Mingo to Kenny Yaboa. The, he's a 6'4", 240-pound temple transfer that plays tight end. He's been amazingly efficient to start the year. He's also averaging over 100 yards receiving per game, but he's just not on the field as much as Mingo. So I think I would just try to save the salary and go there. Yeah, it's a great name too. So you got that going for Yeboa you. Yeboa or Mingo? Mingo. It's not Barcavius Mingo, but Mingo in any form is good enough for me. And you do save some salary. Listen, this is a game you definitely won't, you can't just overlook when you got a 38 and a half team total there's going to be points and then the other side arkansas is right behind him at 37 chad had already been clamoring for uh for franks 7200 great environment old miss's defense is straight broken we, we've talked about that they cannot stop anybody the question i have i mean it's it's of course linked is do you like franks but then if you do what do we exactly do with the arkansas offense because there's a lot of guys and some are hurt there's a lot of question marks despite a great game environment. I think this Arkansas offense has a lot of reasons to like it. They brought in Kendall Bryles as their OC, so that's a step in the right direction just from how they're going to play. And they've really been limited by their opponents to start the year. They're only averaging 71 plays per game. When they played Auburn, they got up to 77, but they played Georgia, who is a phenomenal defense, and they played a really sloppy game against Mississippi State. And Mississippi State, while they run a lot of plays themselves, they actually are not great for their opponents because of just their low A dot. It really kills the clock. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts, but those paper cuts are all just tiny little five-yard dink and dunk passes, and it really limits the opposing offense's time on the field. So I think they will have better games as far as game scripts. And then matchup, if you're ever going to play Franks, like it's going to be against this, this Ole Miss defense. Yeah, I mean, he was, uh, there was a lot of things going on in the game last week against Auburn. Uh, there was poor, there, it was just a sloppy game, but he was great. Uh, four touchdowns, they, I don't want to say should, but they, they could have and, and probably should have won that game in a lot of ways. So as you mentioned, I think if you're going to do it, now is the time. I just look at his receivers and I really, I really have a tough time 
like, I, I'm still scarred by Trey Knox from last year. Like, what do you do with the Arkansas pass catchers? If Traylon Burks plays, you just play Traylon Burks. He's do their you think number. He will play. So last week he dressed and he warmed up and it looked like he was going to play. And then he just didn't take the field, which happens a lot in college football. You and I can both attest to this. Yes, confirmed. And that was different from Rakeem Boyd. Like, Rakeem Boyd didn't even travel. Like, Burks was with the team. He was actually out there, just didn't actually take the field. So it seems like Burks, there's a lot of positivity surrounding his game status. Could he just warm up again and not play? Maybe. But he's 4700 The price is right. And he's their clear wide receiver one when healthy. He's a 6'3", 230-pound immensely athletic receiver. He had 10 targets immediately in their first game. If he plays, and he, like I said, he's got the he's got the P, not the Q, so that's obviously improvement. Does that hurt? I mean, obviously it's not ideal, but like can you still go to these other guys in terms of like Woods or Warren, or do you think you just stick with Burks? Do you load up with two pass catchers and do a three-man stack? Uh, is there room for more besides him? I like Burks more than Woods just because of the price discount and he's the number one, but Woods will be on the field a lot. And I think he's pretty clearly their wide receiver too. He's been out there on 88% of Arkansas dropbacks this year. And that was consistent with Burks on and off the field. Woods would be the second guy outside of that. They're going to run some form of rotation for their wide receiver three. It's been Devion Warren a little bit, a guy named Tyson Morris, who's the stone men ran around on 83% of dropbacks last week, only saw two targets. They also have Trey Knox, had a great year last year but has yep. just largely fallen out of favor i'm not sure why i don't think you're really looking to any of those three it would just be burks and woods and i think you could do a three-man stack i wanted to ask you that i know it's not really relevant for today's slate but why is like what happened to knox i thought he would be a large part of this offense dude i'm not sure he was a freshman breakout too it's tough to see him falling out of favor we saw the same thing with amory and brown at georgia tech i was very sad yeah, that's your uh, your other boy, but we'll see. This is obviously like, you know, we have a couple other games and we're going to get to them that are big time. This game is big time. You, you got both sides, number of targets. It's going to be popular, but for good reason. So keep oh. that in mind. I do want to say, chat, we're rolling along. We got a lot of people in here. It's very exciting. Uh, if you are new to the stream, a welcome. We're super excited to be doing this this year. It's We're having a blast. If there's stuff you want to see, let us know. Hit the like button. And also, if you haven't and you want to become part of the community, awesomeo.com slash join. We have packages from weekly to monthly to annual. Every sport, you can get it all included. You can pick a sport. If you just focus on golf, you just focus on football, you just focus on something else, well, you can just get that. We have everything that you need, projections, the ownership, the tools from Alex Baker himself, so many articles behind the paywall, all the stuff that Matt's doing, I'm doing, the whole team. Uh, really exciting stuff, and, and we're really expanding not just on DFS, but also in the betting circle. So we'd love to have you guys in, even if it's just for a week. Uh, but we're going to keep it moving here. We've got a handful of games left. Another team. These are in the Georgia Tech bucket. Duke has played 10 times, no doubt in my mind. Uh, they get NC State, who's been a really interesting team so far this year. They've had some really impressive showings. And then some not so impressive showings here. Uh, they are a four and a half point favorite at home over under 58 and a half. We can start with Duke. To me, they've been disappointing. I had high hopes for Chase Bryce. I don't think it's turned out awful, but it certainly hasn't been what they expected. Uh, floor is yours. What do you make of the Blue Devils this week? So their NC State and Duke were really similar. They were running rotations at a lot of positions. NC State's figured it out. Duke hasn't. 
And Duke is one of the worst offensive lines in football. Like Chase Bryce, I thought was going to be a quarterback we might want to target with some Kenny Pickett style dual threat ability, but he's taken so many sacks, just 17 sacks so far this year that he's just not going to give you anything. Like he's a zero in the run game. Now, He's also not efficient with his arm. He's completing 54% of his passes. That's downright awful. So I guess my high hopes for Chase Bryce were they've not come to fruition. And the main problem, even though he is seeing a lot of opportunity, 39 pass attempts per game, the wide receiver rotation is horrible. Like Jalen Calhoun started the year as the wide receiver, the, the wide receiver one. Now he hasn't even eclipsed a 50% route rate in back-to-back weeks. So I, there's just no way you can stack this Duke team. I guess if you're playing one guy, it's probably Deion Jackson. They showed last week in positive game script, they're willing to ride him, but they come in as underdogs again here. I'm just not sure how viable he is. Yeah, if he was sitting, you know, I took actually a closer look than you might think at Deion Jackson. He was in the four high fours. I think I could make a pretty good case for him filling that role, but there's just other guys that I think if you were going to punt, uh, I'll circle all the way back to the beginning. Like Ty Chandler's 4,200. If I had to pick between the two, I would take the savings. Uh, I'm not saying I want to do that, but I'm not going to pay 1,600 uh, extra dollars for him. And there's still some backs we haven't got to. Uh, like Bigsby is right there for a hundred dollars more. Wouldn't you rather have Bigsby? Yeah. Um, on the other side, so this is a team you mentioned last week that Hawkman and Leary were in kind of the, the dreaded or situation that is not the case anymore. It's Leary's team, 6,300. One of the pay down options at QB this week? I think so. This NC State team, nothing really changed this, this offseason. So they're a fast team, and they're a team that runs a lot of pass attempts. It just hasn't been one quarterback seeing all of the volume to start this year. Now that it's Devin Leary, like Devin Leary is not a great dual threat quarterback, but if there's going to be a lot of pass attempts here, Devin Leary is going to be viable in some stacks if you think this game goes over the total. And there's plenty of stacking options. So I think as a contrarian play, like you're definitely not targeting Devin Leary as one of the main passers in if you're building 150 or he's not a cash play, anything like that. But I think he's live. This team is, you know, they, they've gotten into some spots, certainly against Pittsburgh last week against Virginia. Um I'll be honest, when I saw four and a half, it, it feels a little trappy, but I, I kind of like NC State in the game. So do I. I like them straight up. It's one of my favorite bets on this slate. Okay, well, that's good. Good. We're going to ride together then because I, I just, at home, they, they seem like they, you, you summed it up perfectly. They have figured something out, and it seems like Duke has not. Uh, in terms of Leary just extending it, Emazy would seem like the guy you want to go to uh, with him. Is there anybody else on the outside? And how do you feel about a guy, I, I think, who should be getting the volume and he's sub 5K? Yeah, I think he's still sub 5K because they had, like Duke, they had a terrible rotation at wide receiver to start the year. But like they narrowed their quarterback distribution, they've also narrowed their wide receiver target distribution. Emazy has now led NC State with routes run the last two games. He's leading the team in targets in that span. He's 4,900, so I think he's the top guy. And then if we just look to other receivers running around a majority of the dropbacks, it would be Devin Carter at 4K flat. He looks like the clear wide receiver, too. Beyond that, it starts to get a little risky, and I don't think I'm willing to target anybody. Yeah, they still have a lot of bodies there. I don't think you need to, though. This could be a pretty simple stat. You could just get exposure to this game with the big guys on NC State. Like like we said, we both like them. 32-team total is more than reasonable. And you're not paying a ton. 
salary-wise. Uh, anything before we move on in the backfield uh, with NC State? They've got two guys. Neither of them really stood out for me. The narrow distribution is nice. So they basically got rid of Jordan Houston, so it's just Ricky Person and Zonovan Knight. I, I think you could maybe look to this because Duke has been, you know, a little bit lackluster as far as run defense goes. So they're allowing 160 rushing yards per game. They are projected to lose this game pretty handily, and the prices are okay on Ricky Person and Zonovan Knight. Like Zonovan Knight at 5,800, that's fine. I'm not sure what the timeshare is going to be because it seems like Zonovan Knight is separating himself a little bit. But Person's 4.5K. Like, you're not paying anything for him. Another guy, again, just to wrap it up, like, that's why Deion Jackson, it's a little hard to get to him because there are other guys that are cheaper and probably in similar situations. So another way to get exposure if you want to on the Wolfpack. Ben, did you see Kenny Pickett's out? He's out? He's out. So do I run to the window and bet Miami right now? Brevin Jordan's out, too. Oh, okay. So De'Ara King solo. Um, interesting. What does that do? Let's circle back for a second because we do have some time. I would say without even knowing, I do not even know who the pit backup is, but I would not use him. Joey Yellen, he's an Arizona Arizona State transfer. I would not use him against Miami's front. Joey, Joey, Arizona State? Huh. Jalen Daniels beat him out? He sure did. Yeah. Yeah. That's a shame. Um, all right. Last thing. Now your your guy, the made up T. Higgins alias, does he become that much more viable? D. Wiggins? I think the under just becomes more in play. I like Miami's probably gonna win this game handily. I don't know how Pitt's gonna keep pace without Pickett. So are they just gonna run the ball? Like I I think I might look more at Cameron Harris. Yeah, he's so again, he is in that zone. He was the third guy between ETN and Kyron Williams. Uh, I don't think, yeah, yeah, I just don't think you get to this game then. Yeah, I, I'm more with you. I, I think it bumps, it, it makes the game just worse in general. Miami should win comfortably, but I think it actually hurts everyone, King included. Uh, I'm not sure how much they'll need his legs, especially late in that game. Agreed, agreed. All right, this game. Premier, this might be the best game on the slate. Central Florida and Memphis. UCF, looking at Odd Chopper, they are two and a half point favorite at a lot of places, 75 and a half total. We know they want to play fast. They're going to rack up the points. Lost a bad game to Tulsa, but they're still a high powered team. Tulsa's good. Tulsa, I, yeah. I, I mean, wanted I, them on the slate today. They were one of my favorite bets. I liked them over Cincy, but we lost it. We did lose it. They've been hit like, They've had games canceled all over the place. But then, you know, I was ripping on on Oklahoma State at the beginning of the year for that. Maybe that wasn't that bad a performance when I look back. No, Tulsa's a decent team, man. <laughs> Chad President season, but not really. Um, all right, Dylan Gabriel, 8,500, another top option at QB. I would say the 300-yard bonus will be in his rearview mirror in this matchup. What do you make of, obviously, the leader of this UCF team? I think Gabriel's the best passer on the slate. He's so efficient. He's averaging nine yards per attempt. They're throwing the ball a ton. Their defense is bad, so he's constantly having to throw. He's eclipsed 300 yards passing in every game this year, 400 in two of the three, stacking options at every single price point. Like, it's the highest total on the board, second highest total on the board, over 70. It's everything you could possibly want. 
the, the thing about this game, and you mentioned it, the stackability is fantastic because you have options up and down. You can load up. Um, God. So I guess we could start here. If, and this is an if, if Trey Nixon plays, is he just the obvious choice considering his price is just not where it should be? Yeah, you just play Trey Nixon. Okay. You I just think flat that's out play enough. Trey Nixon. Yep, I completely agree. What do you think that does on the flip side? So if he doesn't play, obviously Marlon Williams is going to be firmly in play. If Trey Nixon does play, can you still double up with Marlon Williams, who is vastly more expensive? Yeah, we already have two receivers averaging over 100 yards per game in Marlon Williams and Jalen Robinson. So there's enough volume for multiple pass catchers in this in this offense, and I would instantly put Trey Nixon in that same category. He was widely considered the wide receiver one before the season even started over Marlon Williams. So yeah, I'm, I think you can play two of them. I do think Marlon Williams is still in play. I'm comfortable with him at his price, but I still think Nixon is the guy. Just be He's so egregiously cheap. So then the other, it's not a problem, but UCF has so many weapons. It's not just the pass catchers, of course. They've got multiple backs. 6,400, you've got Otis Anderson. 4,500, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, he is expected to play in Greg McRae. What do you do with them? A, do they fit with a stack, or do you like them on their own, or all of the above? I would say that Otis Anderson fits with a stack because he had 41 targets last year. He's pretty clearly the guy they prefer in the pass game, but he's priced up at 6,400. I think DraftKings saw his volume last week, not realizing that Greg McCray and Bentavious Thompson left the game early. Like Otis Anderson typically doesn't see bell cow volume. He did in one game, 17 attempts, because the other injuries occurred. So he's just a little steep in price for me. I think I would just try to get to the pass catchers with this, this pass game just being so efficient. Yeah, is there anybody else besides, I know we just talked about kind of the main weapons on the outside. Do we stick there? Is there anyone we really need to potentially reach for for UCF in terms of other receivers, or is it just the big guys, big names? Yeah, so obviously you want Nixon if he's active. Marlon Williams is expected to be active. He was a little banged up last week too. And then Jalen Robinson's a standout play too, 6,400. He's an Oklahoma transfer. Again, he's averaging over 100 receiving yards per game. If Nixon is out, Jacob Harris immediately becomes viable. He's 4,300. He has back-to-back games with 10 and 6 targets. That's certainly not the same range as Jalen Robinson or Marlon Williams, but you're just looking for a cheap attachment to a Dylan Gabriel stack at that point. So he's viable for that reason. So on the other side, everything we talked about with UCF, you know, they got a great spot. They're going to rack up the points, good quarterback. Every single thing I think is applicable to Memphis, including like, Oh, Trey Nixon, if he's active, just play him. If Coxie is active, uh, and, and you can expand, you, you mentioned this before the show, Chad has asked this, what is going on with Coxie? Uh, if he is active, obviously we play him, but is there worried that there is a status change here? Yeah, there's just some rumors flying around that he's opting out. Nothing verified. So we we literally have no idea. I, I went and looked at, I can't, I can't remember if someone has Twitter or his Instagram page, but he posted something about like being excited for the game. So I'm not really buying it right now. I'm going to be playing massive amounts of Coxie today. I think that you could make a reasonable case that he is the best play on the entire slate. I think you're right. He's laughably priced at six. Like when I, when I saw this price, I had to, like text some people I know and just be like, did Coxie get hurt? Like, did I miss something? Why is he so cheap? And he's not. 
He is back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons for Memphis, and he's priced at, like, the wide receiver 12. Yeah, and he gets uh, – We I know we talked about Shai Smith. Coxy gets peppered with targets. He gets looked at early and often, and, yes, they run a lot of guys. Dykes is fantastic. I actually think they don't use him enough um, in a lot of ways, but talk about this Memphis team. So we know Brady White under center. Where do you put him in the QB rankings? He's a little cheaper, but he's still very, very expensive at 8K. Yeah, I, th- I think Brady White is viable. I think some of the best passers on this slate aren't priced at the top. Like, I, I love Trevor Lawrence, but Brady White's going to have similar volume, similar efficiency in a better game environment. Now, Clemson has a similar implied team total because they're favored by so much. It's interesting to see, like, Memphis and UCF in the same range as Clemson, and their spreads are much closer. So we're just expecting more back-and-forth affairs, which I think leads to more stacking viability with White and Gabriel in particular, and that's always something I'm trying to get to in tournaments is looking at these stacks. It's really what helps you take down tournaments overall. So, yeah, I definitely want to play White. Coxie's the number one stacking option. I think Dykes is appropriately priced. Like, if I saw Dykes at 7.3K, I'd be like, okay, makes sense. It's just in relation to Coxie where you're like, wow, he's expensive. Coxie should be an 8K player. Oh, there's no – Coxie's the price that's messed up. The thing that, and I've seen a fair amount of Memphis this year, they, I think it's a credit to them. They do a lot of things within the offense. They change formations, they change personnel. And the guy, I feel like the swing guy in a lot of ways is Calvin Austin. Uh, He can be massively utilized. He's kind of a, a gadget player. Sometimes he's not out there. Lately, he seems like he's back on the upswing at 4,800. I know it's hard to project what type of game environment, but like, do you, do you think this could be a game where he's once again heavily involved? Yeah, we saw a little interesting player personnel change for Memphis, and I'm not sure if this is just a little blip on the radar, if they're going to do this going forward. But in week one, we had Kylan Watkins. He was a 50% player in the slot, 50% in the backfield. He was out there on almost every snap, just half the time he was a wide receiver, half the time he was a running back, and that brought Calvin Austin off the field. This past game that Memphis played, we saw Kylan Watkins basically just a running back. His routes dropped from 68% to 29%. Correspondingly, Calvin Austin, his routes jumped from 50% to 97 with most of those coming in the slot, really at the expense of Watkins. If we get a 100% snap player in Calvin Austin at 4.8K, he's almost as egregiously priced as Coxie. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what, Brady White, Coxie, Austin, Run it back with one of the many options on UCF. Uh, popular build, but effective build today. There's no doubt in my mind. I think if you want to get contrarian with this game, Rodriguez-Clark is really interesting because we know Coxie, Austin, they're going to be so owned. But people aren't going to play like seven Memphis players in a lineup. I think just naturally Clark is going to be under owned because of this. And that is something that uh, I think it may have been our first show ever. You talked about in college, you can get away with negative correlation a little bit because there, there are not games in the NFL where the total is 75. Here, uh, and I believe we were referencing North Carolina the first time with Carter specifically, Like you can use Howell and Carter together because there's so many touchdowns to go around. Not to mention, I, I think you would agree, Clark is not a, he could get involved in, with Brady White a little bit. So Do you mind using him as part of a big Memphis stack like that? I love it. UCF is allowing 212 rushing yards per game. Clark has, yeah, Clark has touch counts of 20 and 19. And this is with, you know, a Memphis team that's very pass heavy. And we obviously love Coxie, but Clark is 5,600. I think he's the best mid range price back. 
And he's going to open up some salary. If you want to play some sort of lineup construction where you have Clark and then you want to get an ETM, like you're not paying 8K for two backs when you when you put Clark in your lineup. I think he provides leverage and salary relief. Yeah, which is, uh, that's a very good combo, obviously. God, I'm just looking at the game from a betting perspective for one second. It's a really tough game. Both of these teams got clipped. SMU got Memphis. Tulsa got UCF. I don't think those are egregious losses, but... I just don't know what to exactly expect. I think if I had if I had to make a play, and we know Coke season, I think I'd roll with Memphis at home. I think they're a little more balanced, but it is a tough game to bet. Yeah, I agree with you for that reason. Just, ugh. I want to see it though. One of my favorites of the day uh, at three thirty. There. All right, two games down. Um, two games left, I should say. Texas A and M. God, I knew it. I knew the minute I clicked Florida last week that that was a trap. Walked right into it in College Station. Now they go, they hit the road against a Mississippi State team that is a, a just a mess of epic proportions. But we'll start with AM. Um, a couple big things happened. First of all, impressive win, good for Kellen Mond and Co. But you mentioned in your article, which, uh, listen, that article is an absolute monster. If you are playing college football DFS, you should just go read that immediately uh, while you're listening to the NFL show that comes up right next with Greg Ehrenberg and Jeff Ulrich, but that article has everything that you need. And in it, I think one of the big, big things is that Chapman, unfortunately, is now out for the year for Texas A&M. So I want to ask you, A, what does that do? I certainly know that uh, Aeneas Smith is one of the many guys affected. And then just talk about A&M's offense in general. Yeah, so Caleb Chapman was their wide receiver one. They've dealt with a lot of opt-outs this year. Texas A&M particularly hit by them. They lost Jamon Osmond early in the year. So they're already pretty short on wide receivers compared to the normal NCAA team. Now, Chapman, their wide receiver one, goes down. They have running back Aeneas Smith move over to receiver. Aeneas Smith was actually recruited as a wide receiver, and he's played this early in his career. We saw even early in the year. He was used primarily as just a pass-catching back. So he moved over from running back, immediately started playing a full-time role as their slot receiver. He ran around an 86% of dropbacks, saw five targets. But again, these are different targets than what he saw early in the year. We're now talking about a slot receiver rather than a running back. And I think the really big thing that's changed for the offense was now Isaiah Spiller is a full-time player again. Yeah, he's the full-time RB. That's all I had to say about it. Yeah, and that's uh, I we, we were kind of talking last week about that, that he wasn't getting the work. We got the work. 24 carries, buck 72, and two touchdowns against Florida. If he's going to start getting that, uh, the the game log doesn't tell the story at all. 6,300, Mississippi State. I mean, Kentucky had their way in a lot of areas against them. A last thing I have to ask you about him because I, I obsess about this guy. I think he should be great. He never really is. Kellen Mon looked fantastic oh, last oh week. Uh, 7,300. Not going to be popular, I I would say. I still don't know if I can do it, though. Okay, so he's being used a little bit more as a rusher. That was our our big issue with him last week. He is 45 yards in the season, still not great. I I think his rushing upside is elite if he's used correctly. I just – do you have any confidence in that? No, I have have negative confidence in Jimbo Fisher, always. Always. so Texas A&M, I mean, like, I wish they would just use this guy correctly because they had a lot of opt-outs at wide receiver, but they have they returned all five starting offensive linemen, and each of them has at least 13 starts under their belt. And they're a fairly efficient offense. Since Okay, so they played a brutal week one game against Bandy. 
They only ran 56 plays in that game. But since then, they've ran 79 and 76 plays. This has the the like ancillary tools to be a great offense if they could just get it together and use their personnel correctly. Like use Mond as a dual threat. I will say, uh, if you want, I don't, I don't know how low owned he'll be. And I don't, I don't want to say it's a sleeper, but that always sounds pretty cool. So I'm going to say it. If you want a sleeper player, 4,500, Jalen Wertemeyer is someone that I think could step up in a big way. He's a tight end. They've used, you know, I remember when they had Sternberger, they can use this guy. He integrates perfectly for this offense at 4,500. I don't think that it's unreasonable to think that he starts to really up the production now that they have a big loss on the outside. I think you can make an argument he's their wide receiver one or pass catcher one, whatever you want to call it. Chase Lane, I like a lot. Uh, one name I just want to throw out there, Hezekiah Jones. He was dealing with some sort of injury this off season. He's been labeled day to day for like the last three weeks. I saw some reports saying he might play based on who they have on their offense. He might also be their wide receiver one. He's the min price. So I don't know hmm. what to see if he plays, but he's in the late game. You're probably not getting to him anyway, just because of timing. Yeah. All right. On the other side, it's funny. You would think a Mike Leach team might have a ton to say. I really don't. They're just such a mess right now. Uh, you mentioned the low ADA, just everything. Uh, Kylan Hill, you know, big time player, but I don't love the spot. What just what do you make of Mississippi State? They're a slight dog at home. So we have the coaxy rumors. There's also rumors swirling around Mississippi State Twitter that Kylan Hill's out this game. There's no verified reports. So with Coxie, with Hill, just like keep your finger on the pulse of Twitter for the start of these games. Like just make sure they're playing. If they're not, there's easy swaps in both situations. So Kylan Hill, he's basically a wide receiver. And with, with Kylan Hill, he's basically only played two games. And he absurdly handled 10 and 17 targets in those two games. Like Mississippi State is just checking down repeatedly. If Kylan Hill's going to see 17 targets in a game at 6,800, he's in play. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind it, even if you want to go aggressive on this game, and I guess you could say run it back in that situation. We got to keep an eye on the news, as you mentioned, but it's still not an offense that I'm super excited to target. I guess I'll leave it at that. Um, okay. KJ Costello has nine interceptions. Yeah, like what? What? God, LSU, I mean, that that whole situation is just bizarre. Um, all right, last game. We got a couple minutes left. We'll wrap it up with this. We've got Virginia. We've got Wake Forest. Uh, Virginia let a lot of people down last week, myself included. Just a really bad performance. Then there was a concussion. Just everything fell apart. They're a one-point favorite going into Wake. First, I guess, the status of Armstrong is up in the air. Um, Lindell Stone season. Like what? I don't really have interest in him, to be honest. If you stack this game or you stack the Virginia side, you plug in Armstrong right now because he's just 200 more expensive. And then if he's out, you make the swap to stone. I don't think they're that much different. And the main difference is the rushing equity. Armstrong's the better straight up play for DFS real life. We can debate after that just horrific performance, but He's better in DFS because he rushes a lot. So I'm hoping that Armstrong gets the start. If he doesn't, Stone is still going to be a part of a voluminous passing attack. Last week, Stone attempted 54 passes in relief of Armstrong. He only put up 240 yards. So, I mean, there's a lot of debate about how efficient Stone is himself. That was a terrible performance from both Virginia passers. But I think just from a game theory perspective, you put in Armstrong, hope he plays. If he doesn't, you make the swap. 
What do you look at in terms of the skill position players on the Cavaliers? Is it Kemp? Is it Jana? A combination of both? Man, I'm very upset that Kemp is a running back. Okay, I I thought I was going crazy. Yeah, what? Yeah, I, I saw that. I was corresponding with DraftKings this week, <laughs> and they kindly notified me that Billy Kemp is listed as a halfback on Virginia's website, which is updated once a year. And I kindly showed DraftKings the tweet that Virginia releases every week with the Virginia depth chart that lists Billy Kemp as the starting slot receiver. So hopefully we see this change. Anyway, Billy Kemp is still in play at 6,500 as a as a, a running back because his target volume is absurd. I prefer Terrell Yana as a price-adjusted play in this offense. I think he, uh, he what do you have, 21 targets last week? It was just massive. That was mostly from Stone, too. Apparently, Stone was his quarterback in high school. I don't, if you guys like narratives, that's allegedly. I did not know that. Huh. I saw that floating around Twitter. And most of the targets Yana received were from Stone. Yana also plays in the slot, so it's a really good spot to target for Virginia. But yeah, I like Yana quite a bit. If you want to go even cheaper, my favorite punt play on the entire slate is Tony Poljan. He, do you know Tony Poljan, Ben? So I know that he, I believe, was a former QB. Yeah, for Central Michigan, and you know okay. how much I love the Mac. But okay. the dude, I was going to say Eastern, but yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, keep going, all right. The what? dude is 6'7", 265 pounds, and he's he's like pretty athletic. He had 33 catches for 496 yards last year at Central Michigan. Hmm. He just had 11 targets last week, and he's running around on 83% of Virginia's dropbacks, and he's 3,900. So that can be just, to, you know, this is a perfect kind of almost ending point. These are the type of plays, if you're really going aggressive, if you're looking for ETN, you want Kyron Williams and you want to stack that UCF, like someone like, I'm going to call him Tony P, uh, can open up that salary if he's getting the work. It's a pretty decent game environment. Could be some salary relief that we maybe desperately need, depending on lineup construction. Last thing, uh, and then we'll bounce out of here. Do you have anything for Wake Forest? I wish, man, their yeah. offense from just an ancillary perspective or just if we're taking a bird's eye view, 84 and a half plays per game, 51% pass rate. It's why we love Jamie Newman and the pass catchers so much last year. But Sam Hartman just isn't it, man. Negative no. rushing yards for him. Sorry, what? No, I was just agreeing. It's disappointing. I'm a Hartman guy, kind of. So. Yeah, and then the wide receiver rotations like Dukes. I think the wide receiver one is A.T. Perry. He leads the team in targets and routes. He's 4,500, so if you're stacking this game, he's the guy I would run back. Donovan Green's an outside consideration. He's 4K flat. He's second in routes run. Just 14 targets for him, though. Yeah, not much there. Listen, we got 11 games, so there's a lot to get to. Um, I don't think you need to squeeze in Wake, but you know what? 11 up, 11 down. That is what we do. Chat, most people we've ever had watch a show, and that's really exciting. We want to keep it going and keep it building. We really appreciate you guys. Hit the like button on your way out, but stay tuned for Greg Ehrenberg and Jeff Ulrich talking more NFL. Obviously, follow me and Matt on Twitter. Matt will keep you updated with these rumors with Coxy and Hill and everything we need for college football today. Good luck, everybody. Thanks for stopping by. We will see you guys.